Hi, you're listening to What's the Schemata, a schema therapy podcast for therapists. With ISST accredited schema therapy supervisors and trainers, Chris Hayes and Rob Brockman. For more information on schema therapy, visit our website, schematherapytraining.com. Okay, well, welcome everyone to Watch the Schemata, uh, your schema therapist podcast. Uh, I'm Rob Brockman, and today I have a very special guest with me, uh, Joseph Chiroki, Professor of Psychology at uh, the Institute for Positive Psychology and Education in North Sydney, uh, and uh, author of several books on acceptance and commitment therapy, uh, but, and also positive psychology, emotional intelligence, among other things. Uh, welcome, Joe. Hello. Hi, Robert. G'day. Uh, thanks for coming on, Joe. Um, I've been meaning uh, to get you on here uh, for a long time now. Um, really, you know, uh, I've had a lot to do with you over the years, uh, being my PhD supervisor, no less, yeah. um, and working with you in different settings as well um, over the yeah. years and uh, really valued, you know, running into you at different times and talking through a lot of issues to do with well-being uh, and therapy and whatnot. So I've I've yeah. been sort of hassling you about coming on for a long time. So, oh, no, it's all good. Uh, welcome. Um, I wonder if we can kick off with a couple of things. And the first, the first thing we try to do is get things a little bit candid and a bit more personal. I wonder if you could just describe and just say a few things about what you've been doing um, in your work. And the other thing I like to always ask um, is if you can say a few things about how you got into this. Um, yeah, um, well, I guess my main goal in getting to psychology to begin with has been to improve myself and kind of overcome a, a difficult history and childhood, you know, and that takes a lot of work because when you've got a, a it's much harder to act uh, well when you're coming from a traumatic history, difficult history. So I got into psychology to kind of improve myself and and help others and the great news was I found that by helping others, I was also helping myself. So it's a constant practice to kind of uh, create myself and, and live beyond that history. So um, I, a basic research, I do tons of research, but my focus is very much on converting that research to useful things um, that clinicians are interested in, that practitioners want to use. So um, I've worked hard yeah. at communicating science to practical person yeah and this is where i mean over the years you and i have gotten along really well um because we've, we've both had that sort of practical um element that we're both interested in 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 not only sort of the basic research which which is important but also how how does that look in real life how does it make a difference to people you know working with suffering yeah absolutely it it, it, it helps a lot to ground yourself in um you know, what clinicians need and being married to a clinician as I am, it, it really, uh, there's a very strong bullshit detector with my wife so that, you know, <laughs> I, if I say something, it, if it doesn't make any sense, she'll tell me. And so that's kind of honed me to say, okay, am I wasting a lot of time doing this research that nobody cares about? And what, what do practitioners like yourself care about? And how can I help you do it? Because, you know, the practitioner um, is out there having to hustle, make money, talk to doctors, refers, they're busy. They don't have a, masses of time for research and development. You know, time is money for them. But we in academia do have time for research and development. So that's, that's what I hope to do that side and then bring it to uh, people like yourself. Yeah. 
and then you know that's that's how we sort of really got together in um in with even within at that stage um contacts within the act community and research and and um coming together in that way so um, yeah. i've always um loved your work and and so i'm really excited to to talk to you today and try, yeah. to, try to put that out there more to some of the clinicians about sure. particularly how some of your work interfaces with what we do in schema therapy yeah absolutely yeah uh, yeah, we've had lots of conversations about it, and this will be an interesting conversation to see how ACT, acceptance and commitment therapy and schema therapy kind of can share common ideas. Yeah. So, so the central sort of topic, I guess, um, theme for today that I'd like to ask about and really focus on is about your thoughts on therapist strategies yeah. uh, and, and approaches to building a, a healthy, flexible self. Yeah. All right. Uh, in our clients, in our patients, uh, in the schema language, we call this a healthy adult mode. Yeah. Okay. It's a sort of, we think in a parts language and that's a part of the person that we wish to support and develop and build. Yeah. Uh, that has some obvious, I think, you know, overlays with act. Um, yeah. could you say a few things about that? Sure. Um, so there's different expressions of act. Our particular expression is called DNA V. And I think that overlaps a lot with schema therapy. Um, and I'll tell you why in a sec, but. So DNA V is, is your particular model um, yourself yeah. uh, and Louise Hayes. Louise Hayes, from yes. Melbourne, uh, a sort of a, a model of act, which you've developed specifically in the context of adolescence. Yes, exactly. But we're not, we're not writing an adult book. I think it applies to adults um, too. But the main thing that would interest a schema therapist is that um, the idea of DNAV is that people can move to different spaces. So they're not as broad as the adult mode, but it would be like advisor space. So if you're in advisor space, you're thinking, you're critically evaluating, you're often judging yourself, being self-critical. Um, then you can, so that's the A part of DNAV. You can stay in that space and kind of be in that critical, what you might call critical mode, or you can shift into what we call a noticer, which is a curious, mindful noticing, kind of being able to scan your body and recognize what you're feeling. And then that's a very different space, you know, from the critical evaluation mode. Mm -hmm. And then you can shift into what we call discover. So it's DNA. And so discover is where you um, try new things and, and act out new behaviors to see what works. So advisor is kind of like this inner voice that's trying to prevent you from making mistakes and uh, prevent you from making trial and error mistakes. Whereas discover when you're in that mode, you're doing the opposite. You're actually deliberately exposing yourself to trial and error mistakes in order to get better. So that's mm -hmm. DNA. And then the V part is valuer. So this is um, what drives everything is what you care about, what kind of person do you want to be? Um, so when you're, I think in your healthy adult mode, it'd be like, you know, doing things that are more consistent with your values rather than blowing up your life. Right. And so the, you know, as you, as you point out, our conceptualization of this healthy mode um, is quite broad and we, we're putting a lot of, a lot of attributes and a lot of skills under this broad umbrella yeah. uh, of a healthy self. Um, whereas it seems that you're, you're breaking it down a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I would say a healthy adult self would be somebody who could flexibly move between discovery, you know, being able to do trial and error and pay attention to what works. They can flexibly move to noticer. They can pause and not react to their feelings. They're able to manage their feelings and they can turn to problem solving advisor when that's useful. So it's, it's a, mm. I think adult mode has a flex flexibility to it. Whereas, 
you know, I'm not as familiar with all the different modes, but like there's a child mode, isn't there? Yeah, or, yeah this is the child mode is generally the, the, the more the feeling side of things, you know, the, 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 either the panic, anxiety, loneliness. Yeah. And uh, I suspect that mode involves more reactivity to feelings, what we call a low skill noticer, where, you know, you get the feelings and you throw a temper tantrum of some sort. Or, or you just withdraw and you just react to those feelings. Whereas a healthy way of being is that noticer space where you can pause, notice, and then choose your action. So you respond rather than react to feelings. And so in your model, the, all of those bits, the D and A and the V, you know, if you're choosing to be in those, those sides in a given moment, um, can, they can all be um, associated with well-being, e even the advisor? Yeah. Yeah, each of those is high, can have high skill and low skill. So um, with advisors, certainly there are um, times to problem solve. There's times to criticize yourself and if you've made a mistake. There's a time to come up with new rules like, you know, uh, as a practitioner, we might teach people that just because they have self-doubt and distress doesn't mean that there's something wrong with them, that, they're, that that means they're flawed. That's just your advisor talking. So that's kind of a, a new rule. Um, so the, the, the advisor is not just a negative thing. It's, it is tends to be oriented towards threat. That's true, mm -hmm. but you wouldn't want to live without it. Right. And so it's more about being mindful of, of its inputs and, yeah. and the amount of time you're spending focusing on that. Yeah. So if you, you, so these are different spaces. Uh, you can almost think of advisors. If you had to really simplify it, advisors, like thoughts, notices, feelings, discoveries kind of behavior and a sim that's just mm -hmm. a simple way of thinking about it and the key thing is is not that the advisor is good or bad but you need to recognize when it's not helping you and to mm -hmm. disengage from it so like that unhelpful worry and rumination um it's mm -hmm. sometimes it's time to leave the advisor space and go ahead and you know you know the advisor is like this kind of gps that's directing you all the time but sometimes it's directing you away from where you want to go so when that happens Maybe you need to pull off on the side of the road. So that's kind of like noticer. You need to just pause, step notice back, and not notice what's not going react. on. Yeah, yeah. Just stepping back a little bit. So that overlaps. Then, I mean, yeah. So go ahead. Yeah, Sorry. Uh, in, in our broad idea of the healthy adult um, at the moment, which has increasingly been um, revised and influenced by, by ACT and, and other third wave therapies, uh, the current conceptualization is twofold that there's, a, there's, a, there's an initial sort of awareness side of the healthy adult, you know, that's a sort of, let's just pause, spontaneous yep. sort of action, stepping back and noticing what's going on and, and not necessarily acting yep. on, on impulse or, you know, yeah. on, on emotion initially, and just noticing yeah. and, and um, being aware of what's going on in your environment, yeah. um, within yourself, uh, noticing where you're at, you know, perhaps yep. what mode you're experiencing right now. Um, yeah. and the function of that. And so that's a sort of almost like stepping back a gear and just kind of noticing. And then yeah. uh, the second step of, of the healthy adult mode then is, is to maybe put into play some um, healthy, healthy scripts in terms of, you know, functional thinking uh, or, or self-supportive thinking and or behavioral scripts, you know, yeah. uh, healthy coping. So it's sort of yeah. putting those things. So, in that way so that would be so so the healthy scripts when you're talking about thinking scripts then i would say that's kind of like training the advisor upskilling the advisor um and then when you talk about doing healthy behavioral scripts that would be like discover 
and especially, you know, trying, being willing to try new things and, and, and paying attention to what works and what doesn't work. So really the healthy adult sounds like more of a focus on what is adaptive rather than people repeating the same kind of pattern that has gotten them in trouble in the past. Yes, yes. And discovering, I think, uh, in many cases, too, especially for those uh, uh, with a developmental sort of slant on things, whether they're younger yeah. or whether they're just less mature in, in their personality style. I mean, yeah. um, you know, one of the things I was going to ask you is that, you know, for, for many of the, and this is partly fascinating because you're a developmental psychologist as well. Um, yeah. Many of the adults that we see, you know, that might have issues to do with trauma backgrounds or even personality disorders, they haven't necessarily been able to develop this more adult-like capacity yet, you know, of this yeah. healthy adult. Um, and we see them often operating largely out of what we think of as more, these more primitive childlike modes, you know, where there's a lot of affect, a lot of reactivity uh, and yeah. that kind of thing. And also associated to that sort of also quite primitive coping, coping modes or coping behaviors yeah. where they're going yeah. to escape or, you know, become a perfectionist or whatever it might be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what do you see there, you know, in terms of, um, do you think some of this DNA approach or any of your work can apply to adults? Absolutely. I mean, we're writing an adult book now and uh, what's nice about it, I think is that, you know, our current book, your life, your way is for young people, but adults can read it with a young person and it applies to their life as well. Um, I think, yeah, one of the things I haven't talked about yet is the sense of self. And it seems like um, this is big in, in schema therapy. And this, it's almost like I'm, I'm trying to, inter you know, I'm describing schema therapy kind of as an outsider. So it might be interesting. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It almost seems like you have multiple selves that you could be. Like there's a mature adult. Yep. There's kind of like more reactive selves. Yep. And so um, one thing we ACT does and DNAV does is to kind of reinforce that stepping back and connecting with more of an observer self that's free of all those. So all those other selves have content to them, like your, you know, your tantruming self or your mature adult self. Yeah. But there's a self that kind of steps back and says, oh, you know, I've been, I was a healthy adult today or... I don't know. What are some of the mm. more defective? What are some of the more unhelpful modes? Give me some examples. Um, it might be the bully, like which is a coping yeah. mode, you know. Um, yeah. Or it might be the self-critic, which is just going to, you yeah. know, smash you all day about some error that you made or that kind yeah, of yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it, you, what we, the extra step we would do there was okay. So that stepping back and noticing, okay, I was in bully mode today, and I think mm. it sounds like schema therapy does this implicitly. So what it does is it kind of separates out the mode from the person almost, right? It's not, yeah. you aren't a bully, you were in bully mode. And I think that's a really huge step to kind of have a distinction between you and your pattern of behavior. So it feels like schema therapy kind of cat describes things in more patterned ways yes. than is typical of CBT, which tries to break it down into thoughts, feelings, actions. Yeah. So for schema, there's a whole Well, what we would say is that, you know, the bully side of you, it has its own set of you know, thoughts, feelings, behaviors, you know, yeah. that when you're in the bully mode, you feel powerful and, yeah. you know, you're acting in a way that's aggressive and you're trying to, you know, get one up on someone or dominate yeah. them. And it has its own function. Uh, and we also link to usually the function is to self-protection, 
you know, that deep yeah. down they have a lot of vulnerability perhaps, you know, uh, in, in not feeling good about themselves or alone. Yeah. That's interesting that, that one, because, uh, well, we do a lot of research on aggression and there's also, uh, positive functions to the bully mode. It's not just defending against insecurity, but there are real payoffs to being aggressive. Um, you know, so for example, in young people, we see that the bullies are often seen as the most popular, most socially dominant, sometimes more attractive, uh, more influential kinds mm. of people. They're more likely to be seen as leaders. Um, there are also huge downsides, as you point out, and there's much worse mental health. So one of the things is that when you're in, you step into that self, the bully self, um, it's important, I guess, to identify what, how it's functioning for you, how it's benefiting you, I guess. Absolutely. And, and the observer self. So stepping back, you can see, okay, today I was a bully, then I was a mature adult, then I was, you know, this, the child throwing a temper yeah, tantrum yeah. here. You can kind of see yourself. There's a you that kind of sees the different yeah. modes happening. So it kind of, this is the thing about schema, which is, it is to me has been very attractive. You know, there is a content side of schema, which is, you know, what would your healthy side look like in situations yeah. in terms of content? Like, um, yep. but we also really want to train up this more flexible, noticing, diffuse self yeah. that's stepping back and, and, and noticing the yeah. self and saying, well, what part of me was going on there? Yeah. And also to point out that if people over-identify with some mode, let's say, then they'll be reluctant to give it up, even if it's unhelpful, because it's like, you're destroying them. It's like if you yeah. say, well, you've got to give up this mode, what we call the bully mode. You, he might call it that or she might call it the dominant mode or something. Right, right. Then it, it's kind of scary because you're asking them to destroy themselves and all their protections. Mm. But if they can kind of see that they're not just that mode, that there's a self that observes it all and holds it all and they don't have to be this thing. Sometimes they're, you know, healthy yeah. adults. Sometimes they're tantruming. Sometimes mm. they're, you know, whatever it is, um, so the, if they can identify with that more observer self, then they might be willing to let go of the unhelpful modes more because they see that it's not them anyways, that it's just a way of being in the moment. It's a script, you know? You're, yeah. It's like if you're an actor, you're, you're playing a script, you're playing a role. Uh, it's not you, though, because you put the script down, you could be something else. You, so you don't have to invest all this energy defending and fighting for that because it's not you anyway. It makes sense. Yep, completely. We're talking very similar language um, yeah. here, and probably doesn't surprise you, but um, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm adapting it, but I, I realized how much the modes are kind of like the DNA shifting that we talk about. Yeah, maybe you know, like that kind of shifting into different spaces. So, when it comes to motivation, we 100% find what you what you say there, which is, um, you know, we, we we do usually find the development of Let's we'll pick on the bully mode for now, right? We we call it a bully yeah. attack. It could be any other coping mode, but yeah. there there are is usually a coping function in development uh, yeah. that that side made made things easier. It made it made them you know able to regulate, able to feel safer, yeah. etc. Yeah. Um, and on many occasions, there's some real positive functions too. Yeah, in that, absolutely. You know, it feels great to be powerful or it feels on some level you know this positive affect that comes along with those yeah. yeah and maybe they have good experiences maybe they went through high school as the leader or as the top dog or yeah and there's a lot of positive functions that could come from that 
even yep. though it, it's also might have been driven in other words why did you really want to be the top dog like why was yeah. that important to you absolutely so we sort does, of yeah i mean it does seem like it pays dividends but comes with costs uh in the organizational setting i mean you know a lot of people there at the top are the ones who are willing to dominate and step over the dead bodies you know so yeah. Yeah. i mean it is reinforced but talk I think, about this a lot over the years you know, i think that yeah yeah i think there's costs though you make enemies unnecessarily um you don't get your social connection needs met because if you're if you're working from fear and trying to dominate people you don't really connect with them mm. so i think it's, it's a very costly mode um it does have some benefits but you know it's like saying cocaine has some huge downsides that i think negate the benefits and i think that's you were saying you were saying that you think that that even cocaine has benefits well but only benefits in the sense that you know very temporary high very short term yeah it, sure yeah yeah it's just acknowledging the short-term things yeah. um, but bit long-term costs so i'm saying with bullying it does have benefits of often ascending to power if you're skillful enough but it has the downside of not getting your connection needs met and making enemies who who for a lot of those people it will they'll get undermined by them people yeah, will come in the future and them. in the future yeah the and so it has negative things. in schema we have actually a whole list of coping modes um that's that's mm -hmm. always growing you know as we look as, as as schema gets applied in different settings you know when it comes to eating disorders we found new modes and when folks yeah. were working with uh you know folks in prison they found new modes and um, yeah. So we have actually a big list of sort of functional coping modes, if you like, and yep. bullying attack is one of them. Um, yeah. But what you sort of say there really matches with what how we see it, Joe, because you yeah. know motivationally, uh, doing therapy with some of these folks, there's this conundrum, and yeah. that is that this thing a helped me survive. Absolutely. You know, it actually has some positive functions. I feel more in control when, when I'm in this side, I feel sometimes more successful, uh, perhaps, um, you know, it helps me feel safe. Some of the coping modes yeah. safe, you know, helps me function at times, helps me get up and just go to work and like put my stuff aside or right. Yeah. So there can be a lot of positive functions. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of times that mode, but you know, you deal with the fact that it, it used to work, right. Um, I work with, just giving you a developmental perspective you know some of these kids you know if they weren't aggressive and if they didn't start fights they would get bullied themselves and we see bullies and victims often go together so bullies tend to be victim as more so like you're talking about a kid who's in like the chaos of a school trying to adapt he's a sort of kid maybe he's a bit overweight or has something that people target him for and he learns that if he's aggressive and starts fights and bullies people leave him alone so yeah. then he goes and now he's got that mode, right? He's developed this mode. It's been adaptive. Maybe he does it at home as well and it keeps people away from him. But then he goes into the workplace or he goes into a intimate relationship and it no longer works, but he keeps doing it. And I, I guess that's when the script fails him. And this is a part of the cons, right? It's part of the downside. Yeah. So in schema, we, we would, when, when there are cases like this, where motivationally it's a bit, you know, we, we would call this sometimes that the coping mode is uh, egosyntonic. You know, that yep. in, in a sense that they feel that the mode actually works for them and they're quite attached to that side or it's consistent with, with the ego. And yeah, so yeah. one of the goals in therapy with these guys is that 
uh, we, we want to try to flip that into being something more ego dystonic, where it's tipped the other way, where they, where they start to see that on balance, it actually works against my values and my needs. Yeah. And it's yeah. something that needs to be curtailed somewhat. Yeah. So we would say value consistent or inconsistent probably would be um, to show that what you're doing is actually inconsistent with your longer term values. Yeah. But maybe it has some short term reward, but it's, it's kind of destroying your life. And, and so that's, yeah, that's the way ACT folk speak about the same thing. So I think we're talking very similar language here. And um, yeah. in schema, what, what we would do with that, and it speaks to what you were saying, because sometimes people only know really themselves from largely from within this, this mode or this identity, yeah. or this part. So that makes Definitely. it an, an additional problem to deal with in therapy. Yeah. And it's terrifying, you know, like that mode has protected them. So if you as a practitioner asking them to give up the dominant bully mode, it's almost like you're asking them to drop their shield. And so a big part of, I think the work has to be like, you know, helping them to kind of be willing to experience that distress, to recognize this is a shield and it's going to be distressing if you drop it. And that's okay. That's, that happens. So one of the things we found um, almost really helps with this is I, I explicitly train this up as in, I use words like um, flex, flexibility, yep. as in to say, look, as we're looking at the two sides here in a pros and cons, right? Of course, there's a side of this that's worked for you. Otherwise it wouldn't be there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it protected you. It helps you function. Sometimes it even feels yep. good, et cetera. Yeah. Okay. But we've also acknowledged that it's costing you something too. Yeah. Yep. Because if it's not costing you something, then I don't think there's a problem necessarily, right? If it's not costing yeah. you anything, I don't think it's something you might necessarily want to change. Yeah. But if we have, if we, we call this a therapeutic hook in schema. Yeah. If we have, if we can really tap into what it's costing them and if, if those things, if we can link them to their needs and values, yeah. then it becomes evident that, you know, there's two sides of it on the one hand, yeah. right? And so when you're looking at something as having two sides, then yeah. inherently this is a flexible perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And you're seeing that it's not the only way you have to be. So the main thing is giving them, get them to let go of a mode that's very comfortable and familiar. And I think that's where that flexible self comes in, kind of being able to see this is a mode, even be able to see that in the first place, that this is just one script, one way of being, and it's not me. It's not my whole person. And they're not always like that. Like when they're with yeah. their friends or when they're with people they care about or, you know, Absolutely. Yeah. So we find that even in, with a so-called cognitive technique, like pros and cons, stepping back and using this mode language and to examine functionally, right. It's to me, it's almost like doing a deal, doing a deal with that healthy, flexible side, activating yeah. it in the session. And yeah. in those moments with this other stuff's on the board, but right now in the session, I'm having a talk with the side of them that's stepping back and yeah. talking about values and needs and yeah. function. Yep, yep. And I've, that's the thing I've liked about schema therapy is um, I feel like when you talk about modes, it's a bit more holistic than a lot of other approaches because you've kind of got the whole pattern in there. You've got like the scripts, the, the, the verbal beliefs, you've got the feelings, you've got the behavioral tendencies, you've got a whole kind of character almost, don't you? Like yep. it's like a yep. character which has its own intentions, has its own reasons for doing Motivation. things. Motivation. 
Yeah, so it, it really kind of does a, the holistic thing rather than trying to break it down to thoughts and beliefs and feelings separately. And it's very and diffusing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it makes it easier to do the self-work because then you, can, you step back from that entire pattern and you shift modes. You can shift modes more rapidly and see what it's like to be in a different mode for a few minutes. Yeah. And, yeah. and so what we kind of do, uh, the issue you bring up is that people are quite attached to those sides and they're terrified of dropping them. Something, and I've really got this, this side of it a lot from my work with ACT, is using yeah. words like flexibility to say, I, I don't ask you to get rid of this thing necessarily or at all. But yeah. what I do ask you is, you know, if we're sitting here looking at the two sides, you know, would it be worth maybe finding a way to, you know, peel back some of this side sometimes, you know, yeah. so that it's not the only game in town and absolutely create some space to step back and maybe examine the other side of things. Yeah. I think you know? that that sounds like a much safer way to kind of bring them along because they see that, they can always return to that mode at any time. So you're not asking to destroy them. You're not like trying to get rid of that. It's not bad. They should not never do that. I mean, and it's also not realistic. Like, I don't know that you can ever extinguish a side like that. You know, that they'll always have that capacity, right? Yeah, well, you talk about, I mean, you could say there's a function like indirect aggression, which is gossiping and things like that. Well, a lot of times that's used against a bully to kind of limit their power. So social networks work to some extent aggression is a normal part of it. So you don't, it's not going to be an either or like you never should be aggressive um, or assertive is what we prefer to say. But the point is like all the options are open. It's about being able to flexibly move between them and say, okay, I tried aggression here and it really didn't work at all. Holy cow. And then I tried assertive and didn't work. Well, maybe all I can do is take myself out of this relationship. You know, it's things like that versus, mm -hmm. you know, I tried to be assertive here and wow, it really changed things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the same mode isn't always going to work. And certainly the healthy adult mode sounds like a mode where you can flexibly move between everything else. It sounds like the more overarching mode. Yeah. So interesting. Um, and I mean, in your work, as we describe this stuff and it, if we peel that we've talked about some of the maladaptive modes and how that's working, if you were to, and you are writing a book on this right now, you know, design a book for adults who want to build up that healthy self. Yeah. You know, what are you putting in that book in terms of techniques? Um, you know, what, what should therapists be sort of focusing on if they wanted to build up that side? And I guess as I ask that question, we can ask this two ways. One is, I think, building that side up as a trait. Yeah. And also maybe, I don't know, is, is there a way in which we, we want to activate that side more as a state, you know, within sessions? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, um, I think a big part of it is helping people to recognize these different spaces they can move between um, advisor, noticer, discoverer, valuer. Then we have social view and self view. Uh, these are different spaces they can move to. And, and, and as we build this up, I'm going to get you to start saying the word mode, I reckon, within the next six months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you see, it has a lot in common. It's, it's, a, it's a little different, but it, it has a lot in common with schema therapy. Yeah, because at the moment, you use the word space, and it's, it's probably not too much of a leap to say mode, but... It's not, it's not a huge leap, no. Um, there, there'll be differences. Like within advisor space, there's high skill and low skill. Within noticer space, there's high skill and low skill. I think that sounds to me like the schema modes are more comprehensive. They include all the spaces and they have scripts, you know, so mm -hmm. 
it'd be like, what would DNA V look like if you were in bully mode? Everything would be different. You know, the, all of them would change. So it's, yeah. So I, I think the big thing is to help people to start to recognize what low and high skill looks like in each of these spaces. Discovers, mm-hmm. you know, dis- low skill discovers, impulsive, uh, tries new things, but not guided by values. Low skill noticers, very emotionally reactive, um, avoidant, controlling. Low skill advisors, constantly worrying, overthinking everything. So it's about kind of recognizing I can be in any of these spaces at a low skill level. And then what is high skill like? And high skill advisors, you know, being able to problem solve, come up with functional scripts as you describe it. High skill noticer is being able to recognize feelings and kind of respond instead of react to them. High skill discoverer is being, being able to broaden and build your life and do and try new things and leave your comfort zone, really. All of this in the service of values. So we build a different sense of self when we start, when people start to see, hey, you know what? I am an advisor. I'm a noticer. I'm a discoverer. I'm all of these things. Sometimes I'm skillful. Sometimes I'm not. So now we've got this kind of noticer self who can see I'm, I'm really the sky here. And all this is just weather, you know, and it's changing all the time. And I can kind of let go of my beliefs about myself because they're just passing things anyway. So let's get technical. Like you've, um, you, let's say you're talking about the observer self. Yeah. Yeah. What, what would be your go-to, you know, in trying to build that in, in, let's say in an adolescent, right? If we're going to stick with what you've been doing. Yeah. So I might have them, you know, shift between DNA. So I, I advisor, I might have them, you know, evaluate themselves and, and just kind of talk out loud and let's see what your advisor says. Oh, I'm not good enough. I'm too small. I'm a midget. You know, then I might shift them to noticer and say, well, let's take a few slow breaths and just slow down. And I want you to just scan your body and just notice any sensations there. And if you could give those sensations a name, could what would you name it? And they might say stress or anger or they feel tension in their chest. So this is a different space from advisor. And then discover is what might you do right now that, you know, would be something you haven't done before. But, you know, it's kind of value consistent. Or what mm-hmm. might you do today with your friend? Mm-hmm. You know, you always have the same argument with your friend. Okay, so what's something new or different mm-hmm. you might do today? I'm talking about hands and feet stuff. And yeah. so then... You know, I, I might say, because what do you value? What do you care about in this friendship? Mm-hmm. And then to get to the self, we would then say, well, notice how you were just now, just in these three minutes, we had you in a space where you were thinking and evaluating. Then you were noticing. Then you were doing things. So you so do what, a lot of this meta stuff where you're getting them to notice the, the shift. Yeah. So who are you in all this? Well, I'm not the midget because I, that was just a thought I was having when I was an advisor. And I'm not my anger because that's what I was noticing when I was a noticer. And I'm so not- It seems to me that, that the models are very, actually quite similar. And you have this kind of four, almost a four mode model where you're training up a very basic mode approach saying here are four modes that seem to be very important to well-being and development. Yeah. And you're using that as the basis for a lot of the work. Yeah, but there's low and high skill versions of each mode. Of each I, I, don't, I don't know I if understand. that's true in schema, but um, so they're, they're kind of spaces. You could say modes, but it, it's just a little different because I think it's more molecular, like it's the molecules that would build, I would use to build up the more comp, the broader schema kind of ideas. Mm. You know, like a healthy adult would involve, 
high skill and all of those things. Well, when I, sorry, sorry, Joe. Go ahead. Yeah. When I hear you say these things like, okay, so what, you know, you induced a bit of present moment work, you know, mindfulness work there to in the moment, drop them into the observer. Yeah. In what I've been pushing in schema is that this is something that we could do too in schema therapy um, with that, with um, the work that we've been doing with what we call contextual schema therapy which is yep. bringing a lot more of these nuances into schema. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, bringing a little bit of that present moment awareness in as a yeah. way of triggering off this healthy side, this healthy yeah. uh, part, of, part of the person. And then what I hear you say you're doing is once you've got a bit of that going, you might, from that position, get them to reflect on what the advisor had been doing lately. And yeah in a metacognitive way, reflecting on that yeah. and saying that's that side, but it's not you. Yeah. And then what I hear than that. Yeah. You're more than that. You, you hold all that and you're, you're just, there's a part of you noticing that stuff Yeah, and maybe not buying into it as much. Yeah, exactly. And then what I also hear you say is talking about the, uh, I think it's the V part. Um, uh, no, it's, it's not the V part. It's the part which is about exploration. Dis- discover. Sorry, yeah. That's the discover which again, I think that's our behavioral part of schema. Yeah. We would do that at the back end of the session, talking about pattern breaking, what we call behavioral yeah, pattern breaking. Absolutely. And saying, hey, you know, with all of this in mind, how do we keep the work going, you know, this week or this fortnight or whatever, so that we can break these patterns and connect you more to your needs and values. Yeah, what do you actually do? What what are the actual new behavioral ways that you might act? What would an outside observer see you doing? And then how would you know if that was working, if that was improving your life? So the discoverer doesn't just try new things, but they also test. So it's try and test. So, so this is almost, um, it's, it is our, our behavioral pattern breaking part. Um, yeah. And the therapist, I imagine, is there to support that process of experimentation and trial yeah, and error. Exactly. And so the therapist doesn't necessarily have the answers. So, you know, that bully schema um, has been working to some extent and you don't necessarily know what they need to do as an alternative that will be better. You can take some guesses. There's some pretty good guesses being assertive, not screaming at somebody at the office probably would be generally good things not to do. But there is a sense in which it's up to the client to find out in their own individual context context. yeah Yeah, exactly and who knows like cultures are so different people are so different you know somebody that would work brilliantly in an italian household like mine uh would be considered loud and 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 aggressive in another household you know so the discover is really about okay i'll try that oh that didn't work at all and oh it did work here though and you know that kind of thing like that trial and error and recognizing that not everything works everywhere and I guess with the schema kind of process, you're, you're kind of saying, look, this was adaptive here, but is it adaptive here? Yeah, yeah, very, very similar, I think, um, overlap there. And, yeah. and I, I, the, the more I sort of um, reflect on that, you know, the ACT work and also some of the, the recent stuff you're doing, I do think, you know, um, definitely schema can learn uh, more about um, building that healthy adult explicitly from some of this work. Um, yeah. that, that you guys are doing. Um, it does make me wonder, though, when you're talking about all these kind of uh, spaces, as you call it, uh, do you have specific techniques for moving people between spaces? For example, yeah. you know, we use a lot of chair work. So we yeah. would actually get folks to sit in a different chair and to be a certain side. Can yeah. you say something about that? 
Absolutely. I mean, we would do all that stuff, physicalizing, um, you know, draw your advisor, for example, paint your difficult thoughts. Those are all kind of attempting to externalize and, and, and really emphasize the sense of self that's an observer from the content. Um, yeah, we deliberately shift into noticer with, like I did there with just deliberately getting them mindful. You shift them into discover by actually getting them to do stuff, even when they're doubting themselves or when they feel silly or distressed, having them actually do it. So those are the, those are kind of quite deliberate shifts. We do, do you a lot use of chair work shifts. Do you, do you actually use the idea of different chairs? You can, I know it's been, I know act practitioners have used that. Um, I know self-compassion folks, I think use it as well. They do it a lot, a lot. Yeah. So, so self-compassion. Yeah. Um, compassion focused therapy and schema are really um, closely aligned. Yeah, we do um, in DNAV, we do a lot of stuff around self-compassion where we have them. The main goal is what we call social view is to get them to shift perspective, for example, or um, see a younger version of themselves where they might be compassionate. And so we do, um, we might have that therapist play the person and the person played the therapist. So I have, you know, I would, I would say, what, what if I was suffering through the same thing you're going through, Robert, right now? And, you know, I was mm -hmm. feeling this, what would you say to me? So it's, it's kind of a, not an empty chair. It's a, it's, the chair has somebody it's in a, it. It's a live chair. Yeah, yeah. But you're still shifting. You're doing that perspective taking. It's perspective shifting. taking, yeah. So that's huge in our social view. It's like shifting perspective, trying to get the person to see themselves as someone who suffers and deserves kindness. So doing role plays is important? Yeah, for sure. Um, and it's really interesting with self-compassion because they're not always able to take a kind view to themselves, but sometimes you have to do a role play where it's, okay, so let's take this empty chair and this is your daughter. What would you say yeah. to your daughter if she was going through this? So we definitely use that as a, as a rapid way to shift perspective. I think those perspective shifts can kind of get out of all the entanglement of the advisor and all those words and suddenly be radically shift the entire ground that you're on. Yeah. Kind of like when you guys try and shift modes, you're trying to shift the, the entire ground, not just a thought, a feeling, or behavior, but the entire script is trying to be flipped. Hmm. What, do you, what do you think of, I mean, something that I'm interested in, and I think a lot of um, schema therapists uh, would be interested in, is how do you see this healthy self? If, just for a moment, if you could imagine a world where, where you're, you're buying into a healthy adult mode, in a sense, yeah. um, our language. What do you think of that idea in adolescence and even children? You know, at what age do you start to see the development of something that looks like a healthy self? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's right at the beginning, right when they get language. I mean, there could be healthy and less healthy versions of the self right at 18 months, 20 months, 24 months. Um, do they feel shame? Do they feel confident in the world? Uh, are they starting to regulate their emotions? You know, I think um, you, you can't expect too much from people, young people who are in the developmental phase. Like when they're teenagers, they tend to talk a lot more about themselves and maybe that looks more like a, a self-absorbed version of the self, but it's, it's just normal developmentally. And maybe they kind of have more extreme emotions, highs and lows. Um, and that's just normally, that's just normal development. But even within that, there's healthier and less healthy versions, I guess. Um, trying to train them up to be able to respond rather than react i guess to that and yeah. if we picked on one aspect say self-compassion 
you know, at what, at what age do you start to see the capacity for self-compassion emerge? Yeah. Uh, like I think that can be happening very early. It's just about how hard you are on yourself and whether you think you got to be hard on yourself. Um, parents can badly model that. Like for example, in, if a kid's in sport, an eight-year-old could be, you know, being taught to really beat themselves up and criticize themselves when they make a mistake, when they don't extend their arm enough when they serve or something like that, you know? So I think you could have an, uh, certainly the unhealthy version of self can come in super early uh, as uh, just almost as soon as the kids got language or a little bit later, maybe. So I, how how yeah. much do you see um, parenting as being involved in, in the building of a healthy self? Yeah, it's absolutely essential. So good parent will help the young person to see that mistakes are okay, that making mistakes shouldn't be associated with low self-esteem since mistakes are necessary to build skill and become better at things. So there's a lot of work on that and a lot of work around um, helping young people to label their feelings and learn how to not react to them in a really destructive way. You know, a lot of it's about getting them to slow down be patient, be non-reactive. I mean, that's really, if you had to, it's so simple, but it's, it's the key skill is that patient non-reactivity, which sounds and, like a healthy adult. Yeah. So, so that's, uh, you know, in the schema model, we, we take that sort of metaphor of the parent, which is the assumption is that they've missed out on some things growing up and yeah. we're trying to kickstart that development in the, in, in the therapy. Um, yeah. Play that figure a bit more in their lives to a limited degree. Yeah. Um, what do you think of that idea? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, when I model things, I mean, I'm trying to help the young person often downregulate, like they're losing control, they're really upset, they're angry. And so I model calm re reactivity, calming down, slowing down. Okay, it's okay. It's all right. Let's just notice that distress, which is fine. And now what can we do? How can we respond to it? So I'm actually modeling it in the room by being calm myself and they are and that's what a parent will do that's what a good parent will do and it takes massive patience because you know, parents are stressed out and hardly have any time and we just want to tell them my way of the highway just do it you know and, and not model that and so that's why they come see you when they're adults you know <laughs> we were making all kinds of mistakes so you've got to kind of model the kind of reactivity you actually want in the young person you've got to be that person. yeah so that's completely right so and you don't have to get it perfect all the time. There's going to be times when you get it wrong, but you know, on balance, you want to be modeling those things more often than not. Yeah, absolutely. Really yeah. Good. That's completely consistent with, with the work we do. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. Um, look, I've just got one more little thing I wanted to ask you, um, which is about positive psychology more broadly. Um, you know, I know, I know you and our, our colleague Tosh, Todd Cashton wrote a really cool book on positive psychology and act a few years back. Yeah. Um, and one of the things we, we haven't picked up on as much in schema is, you know, I do wonder whether we can learn something about building this healthy self, looking at more positive attributes or positive skills. Yeah. Um, can you say something about that? I mean, I know you've been in that world a lot. Um, certainly. And I think you guys have been looking at this too with positive and negative aspects of schema. Um, but we know that psychometrically, the positive and negative are, are virtually independent. So people can be distressed, anxious, angry, but at the same time be having joy in their life, or they can be um, 
totally without anxiety, but have no joy. So the two things are almost separate. So you could have like, um, you know, I'm king of the world. Yes. And also at the same time, I have a schema, which is like, I have my complete shit, worthless yeah. father. This is the same that we found um, in the schema, schema world. Um, our colleagues, yeah. John Luis, um, has found a similar thing between positive and negative schemas. That, yeah. Uh, um, distinct dimensions, uh, yeah. albeit related. And so they're, yeah, and they're like different systems, like behavioral activation yes. versus behavioral inhibition. And so what, I guess what positive psychology can teach is how do you, that, that eliminating uh, symptoms isn't the same thing as promoting vitality, that they're, they're really separate things. Um, they, they relate a little bit, but not enough to say that you could just replace one with the other. So a lot of, um, I guess, positive psychology would be activating positive behaviors, um, like gratitude, kindness, um, pro-social stuff. A lot of it would be about create, helping, so broadening and building. So that's what the discover is all about. Like, how do you expand and do new things? So you expand your social networks and expand your skills. And to do expand your social networks and skills, you have to do new things. And I guess the big thing from positive psychology is that you need to create a sense of safety and security a lot of times for people to be willing to explore. Mm-hmm. The challenge with a clinician is that a lot of times you've got to help people to broaden and build even when they're not feeling good. So it's, it's, it's even when you feel tense, can you still try something new and expand your repertoires? And when you're feeling tense, you tend to not do that. You tend to narrow and you don't want to do new things. So that, yeah. that's one. Which is when you're being dominated by some of those more negative modes of vulnerability yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. So uh, it's about developing the positive as well as alleviating the negative, I think is, is the key message there. And I think schema therapy is all over that with the, I know you're working in the positive and negative schema mode kind of stuff uh you've done some research in that area so i think that that you guys are on top of that nice nice okay um is there anything else you that we kind of haven't covered today joe that that you are interested in or some other geeky thing that we need to talk about no i think that covers a lot i mean we could talk forever but yeah i think that's (laughs) covered a good good amount of ground i mean yeah 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 nice one nice one um well, thanks, thanks so much for coming on. Um, it's been, it's been uh, awesome just getting to geek out with you again, um, you know, uh, over these kind of things and also being able to share that um, with, with other folks. Um, is there, uh, I wanted to mention a couple of things. I know you've got your new book out. Yep. Uh, do you want to say a few things about that? Yes, uh, we have a new book out, an illustrated book for young people called Your Life, Your Way, which really applies all this uh, DNA, V, and ACT stuff to young people, but would probably be useful to adults too. We also have a website, DNAV Full Stop International, where you can find an adult DNAV workbook, um, and we'll show you, walk you through the model and see how it works with your own uh, challenges in life. So I'd recommend checking out that website. Very nice. Very nice. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Joe, for that. And if I can just also plug um, some of our own training around this, um, we have our own training platform, of course, for schema therapy, which is schematherapytrainingonline.com. And in particular, uh, I have a course up at the moment called Contextual Schema Therapy, uh, which we run roughly every month or so. And so if, if, you, if you really liked some of, the, some of the discussions we had today with Joe, um, you'd probably like uh, that course too. So um, thanks, thanks a lot, Joe, for coming on. Looking forward to, um, to seeing you around the traps and see you around. Yep, see you.